0: Hi, you're listening to WRBH Radio, 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sins. And here in the studio with me today, I have cookbook writer extraordinaire, um, world traveler, and all around just really cool, interesting guy, uh, Mark Stevens. So how are you doing, Mark? Good.
1: Thank you, Amy, for having me.
0: So what's your official title? What should we call you Is this one of those things where we get to make up your own title that sounds really grand?
1: Yeah, it's one of those things. Go for it. What you got?
0: Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to ponder on that. But before the end of the show, we'll have some kind of crazy title for you. Perfect. (laughs) Because it's so, you know, I feel like in all that we do in food and so many times food is our focus. But there are other times we have jobs outside of food but we would rather be focusing on food. It's hard to sum up what we do in a day and really say who we are and what we do.
1: Totally. I mean, I'm a filmmaker by trade is how I make my, the majority of my livelihood, I suppose. Um, maybe adventure cook?
0: Ooh. Mm. I'll write that down on the list, and then maybe we'll let everybody vote online. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a
1: chef because I don't work in a restaurant. Um, I am an avid home cook. I've written these two cookbooks as as a home cook, trying to be sort of on that journey with the reader. Um, so I'm very proud of the of the term home cook. Um, that's how I would I would I would go into it. Um, I just love to feed people. I think as most of us do, and in this world.
0: What is it about feeding people that makes some of us just fall in love with it?
1: I think there's a selfish element to it. When I cook something really good or someone tells me that this is the best chicken or shrimp or whatever it may be that they've ever had, I mean, that's, that's huge, right? I mean, films I've done have won Academy Awards for different various things, but if someone tells you that... It's the best steak that they've ever had, which just happened at a barbecue a couple of weeks ago. I mean, people eat a lot of steak, you know? Probably more steak than they watch movies. I would agree with that. Yeah, so the best one, I mean, that is a very prideful a prideful thing. So I think it most of us who want to put good out there um, look for those ways that, you know, give somebody that glint in their eye where they're just like, this is... This is great and you know feeding people and making people feel good feels good.
0: Yeah, I mean food is happy yeah. and uh I think it makes people happy and even when food is bad we can still giggle and be happy, you know, mm-hmm. cuz we've all had this uh this past Thanksgiving uh we had an argument in the family and no one listened to me about the turkey and I took a picture of a completely burnt oversmoked turkey. And said, "We have sacrificed this turkey so that you all can see what happens when it goes wrong, so you don't try this at home." <laughs> and so, even when food goes bad, it can still make us be happy and and have enjoyment. A
1: thousand percent. And also, sometimes food, <laughs> when food is bad, it's it's not always bad. There's um. I'm a I'm Italian. My mom's Italian. I'm an Italian citizen as well as an American one, but. Um, my friends' families always apologized to me when they were cooking Italian food when I was a kid. And for me, it's the type of thing that's like, no Italian food is really bad. Even, like, egg noodles and ketchup, you know, to quote um, Goodfellas, it's still, like, delicious in a way. You know, I'll still shove it into my mouth. Um, So, you know, there's such a giant margin for error um, when when cooking, I feel like, uh, that it really does... Give give that goodness that I think you're talking about.
0: Well, as you're out and about and you're traveling the world and I know you just came back from a trip, are you seeing like trends in food or trends in the way people respond to food? Is there something that you go I mean, I'll say well we always have in common that everybody eats. That's one thing we all have in common. You gotta eat. Let's We can all get along over that topic that you have to eat. But are you seeing that families in one part of the world and families in another part of the world are really doing the same things, even though they're very different culturally? That's a big question.
1: Uh, It is a big question. I I think the answer to your question is, yes, you do see trends. Um, My girlfriend and I, when we travel, we have um, a sort of an extreme policy. We either eat street food or eat at like mission star restaurants we don't do a lot of in the middle we don't do a lot of like oh this is a nice restaurant that might cost like 70 bucks or something it's like we are spending pennies or we're spending like Lots. the price of our pain plane ticket and sometimes we build trips around that we did azermendi last year in basque country just on this trip to south america we did Barago, don julio um in argentina um, and Central and Maedo and Lima which are like four of the top 25 restaurants in the world um, parsley oil weirdly mm-hmm. is showing up everywhere um, I saw it at Geranium in Denmark and um, another place I think 108 in Denmark so I, I, just, I you do sort of see things um, fermentation is really huge among like some of those sort of high end restaurants Burago is really big into that um, a, as well uh, and but when you get sort of lower than that sort of haughty food, dynamicism, whatever you want to call it, and you get down to the level of, um, of of eating with families and homes, which is another thing we try to do. The 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 common thread is, and sort of always has been, just generosity. When you're traveling and you show an openness to someone else's culture, they. Have a desire to be prideful about their food, and it's sort of just like what we were talking about earlier. We were sitting on a on a um, in a booth in a train on the way to Aguascalientes to go to Machu Picchu, and we're sitting across from two Colombians who don't speak English. My sort of broken Spanish, which and plus Italian words sort of fused in, um, got to talking to them and. You know, you bring up the word empanadas, and we had just come from Buenos Aires and went to a wedding there. People will fight. Yeah. You know, people will fight about whether these empanadas from Medellin or, you know, salteñas from northern Argentina are better. And, and the way people talk about them is just so prideful. We were in a bar in Buenos Aires, and there was a guy from Taco Man, which is also in the north of Argentina, and he was ready to cry about how good— tacumanas or like Takumanas empanadas are uh, compared to just the S-word crap ones in Buenos Aires, which to me, just because I'm not ingrained in the the finer points of um, Argentine, (laughs) you know, bread tarts, uh, savory bread tarts, uh, the ones in in just anywhere in Argentina are just going to be the best ones you've ever had in your life. But these like just finite points and people are just so prideful about what they what they have and what they can give. I mean, we went. We we're the trip was based around a wedding that we went to in Argentina, and the food. I mean, unreal sweetbreads and just somebody was just shaving off hamon ibérico. I mean, they just want to feed. That's the common thread.
0: I love that, and you know, I think we all I can identify with that. Growing up and living here in South Louisiana, it is we just want to feed people. And whatever it is, we want you to enjoy it and enjoy that moment. And I think that generosity point that you said is it's, you know, so true that we as the cooks or the families who are inviting people in want to be generous. But the generosity and acceptance of here we have someone from another country and we just gave them alligator and crawfish and they still want to be our friend. That is, you know, kind of cool too.
1: (laughs) You know what another common thread is, and I'll just do this very quickly, is that everywhere I've ever been, seven continents, 40 countries, and you just reminded me of it because I think it's happened between us before, where you feed someone from a place that's not here you're in Portugal, they're feeding someone who's a place from not there, me or whoever else. And they give you give them that thing. And everywhere, this is a culture universal is the wait and look. Yes. To see if they <laughs> like it. And the look that is the look to see whether they like it or not, that is universal everywhere. It's the same exact look whether you are in Indonesia or Ghana or Italy. It's the same one. That anticipation whether they're going to like it or and, not.
0: And they're kind of holding their breath. Yeah. And they're just, their eyes are fixated. There's that little, and tilt, like, that little head tilt. head like, we might get have to it. do a YouTube video <laughs> on this on, like, how to know if they are really analyzing how you feel about what you're about to eat. But I think that's so true because there's this moment of hopefulness, like, I hope they love it. I hope they appreciate it. I hope they feel the love in it. I hope they don't spit it out, you know?
1: Right, because it's, it's bigger than that, isn't it? It's not just the taste of the food, but if you like the food, you might like the culture, and then you might like us.
0: Right. It's the acceptance of all of it.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about your book, because you have this new book out called World Sauces, um, the World Sauces Cookbook. And there are 60 different um, regional recipes. And uh, what I love about your books is that you get these bases, you know, with your spices, you get your bases, but then you tell us what to do with it so that and and in my mind, I'm like, okay, world sauces, we're going to have so many dips now, (laughs) but it's more than that. You know, for me, gravy is any liquid on a plate that I can dip a piece of bread in. So I am, you know, I love any kind of sauce, but there's something magical about when it's all paired with the right things.
1: Couldn't have said it better. Um, That's basically the elevator speech. Oh, well. Uh, Yeah, I should take you on the road. Um, This book is about world sauces. There's a million sauces about—a million books about sauces that cover all of the super heavy French sauces and their derivatives and the bases. And this book has 60 sauces from four regions. It's set up in the same way as my first one, um, Cooking with Spices. And it gets down to sauces that people are making— in their homes in different parts of the world. The, the, the French line, that's super cool, and we know it well. Um, but there's some really obscure sauces that use really basic ingredients that are happening all over the world that are just so tasty. Like what? Um, well, one that comes to mind would be this sauce called yellow krung. It's um, a curry, basically, from Cambodia. And Thai food is obviously super huge in the West. Cambodian food, because of very many different political things, hasn't had the same sort of breadth. But I I cooked it for a bunch of people at this barbecue a couple weeks ago, and minds were being blown. It's just this delicious lemongrassy curry thing. You can cook a lot of different things in a fish, shrimp. um, And that sort of speaks to some of the sauces in this book. tried to make it so that you can use it for more than one thing a lot of them you make it you can put it in the fridge and if you have chicken or fish or whatever it is that you grab on your way home you can just pair it up and there's pairing suggestions and then in the back of the book there's just simple recipes for like your chickens your mussels, your whatever and you can sort of combine and and compare but the The spirit of the book is travels in food, and you can really sort of experience some of these places and some of the things that we spoke about earlier without having left your kitchen. And most of the ingredients are way easier to find than people think.
0: Now, whenever you're you're looking at these sauces, and we have our classic French sauces, and then you travel the world and you see maybe other people, do they, like, in other countries... Do they have a mother sauce? Do they have a mother ingredient? Kind of like here in New Orleans, everything's about the Holy Trinity. we got to start with a Holy Trinity. We have our roux. Uh, I kind of giggled when you said parsley oil because I use it all the time because New Orleans is the land of brown food, and I have to find a way to put a color somewhere on the plate, and parsley oil is magic when it comes to that. So I like to think I'm on trend. But, you know, you start to see that, like, it Maybe we ha- are using onion, celery, bell pepper as our base, but someone else is using ginger and garlic and uh onion. Like, what are you seeing in these countries that um, you're visiting that is, like, their mother sauce? Or do they have multiple sauces that everyone knows and are, like, kind of go-tos?
1: It just depends on the region. Each place has just such specific ingredients um mother sauce is a difficult word because it sort of evokes this other sauces are coming off of it yeah i would say there's mother ingredients okay. more than maybe mother sauces things like the chili pepper which is in the southern hemisphere just massive especially in southeast asia and india and stuff um but what I think you really start, sort of start to see is just this blend, you know, this mezcla of, of food traditions. We want to be we want to try to be really authentic. I've tried to be really authentic in this book, even though it's a word I hate. And and I've done that by going to some just amazing people, um, uh, Chef Nene Nguyen, who was on. Uh, Top Chef has a recipe in it. Martha Foose, who's a James Beard Award winner, has a recipe. Um, So I've really tried to branch out of myself to give a voice to this book with folks who are from the places that I'm representing. Um, But as much as you try to isolate yourself and you try to say something's authentic or something is not right, that's the minute everything just gets torn to shreds because ingredients travel. Yes. The chili pepper is so instrumental to to um, Indian cuisine and cuisine from Africa and but the, the chili peppers from Peru and Bolivia. You know, um the, like anything that uses tomatoes, we've 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 just had and it's been it's been spread by sometimes terrible things like colonization and colonialism and things like that, but when you get into what really makes something from a place, you have to take all of it into account. Absolutely, I mean, just the culture and the and the people, and the only way to do that the, the single only way is by talking to the people who are from there.
0: And, you know, part of me thinks that uh, one of the reasons New Orleans is a melting pot of cuisine and people. Is that talking to people from other places? Because we're talkers. We like to talk. And, you know, if we look back in the history of New Orleans, all the groups who have settled here, whether it was, you know, French, Spanish, German, uh, the West African influence, the Native Americans who were already here. And you see all these flavors, but you start to see them go, oh, well, I use this. Oh, well, I use this. And, you know, I don't like the word fusion cuisine because I feel like it's more of a sharing cuisine. Someone else has taught you how this flavor can be brought to life. And then you start to incorporate it into the foods that are familiar to you. And it's really cool to just see how certain spices with the spice trade and heck, now with people taking vacations and bringing gifts to families that they're visiting. I mean, I can't tell you, when I went to India, I brought a million little baby Tabasco sauces and would give them to people I met. And, you know, maybe there's a market now there for Tabasco. I don't know. But again, you're just sharing these flavors and talking about how you can use them. And it's really
1: cool. Totally. And it is how... Uh, it is how food is 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 made isn't it like it's just techniques are are the same ingredients might be substituted heating methods might be substituted but we're all doing basically one thing which is trying to get a bunch of sustenance on a plate
0: and make it taste good yeah (laughs) well when you were working on the book were there some uh sauces that you were like this is amazing or some that you're like I don't know if the world is ready for this.
1: Oh. Yes. <laughs> um there's a sauce in this book it's called Kardesh Fesenjoon. It's a um Persian dish and it comes from um my friend Beta Amohojeri um, who was just she used to live in New Orleans actually and she's now a private chef in California. This thing, it's a prom, its a pomegranate stew, it's a Persian pomegranate stew, and it, it makes your cheeks tingle. I'm not joking. <laughs> like that thing that happens where it just, it is the most delicious, you can make it for days, you can make a big bat, and it comes from her grandmother, and she was so gracious enough to share, share it with me, and I'm so glad she did. It's probably the dish I've made the most could put it on anything, rice or chicken or beef, lamb. Oh, God. It is unbelievable. So that's the one that, like, one of them, among many, there's four or five in each chapter that are just like that. And there's many that I had never heard of. And recipe testing was super hard because everything was coming in in metric. Oh, yeah. And so the conversions and then... In Australia, I was down in Australia traveling and recipe testing down there, and they use an imperial system, but a different imperial system. So where, so our tablespoons, whatever I don't remember off the top of my head, but let's just say it's like ten milliliters. Theirs is like fifteen milliliters. So it's a so total I'm mess. So I'm using <laughs> tablespoons. It's, it's off. It's difficult. And then on the other hand, there's a sauce, and I'm gonna butcher the name, and every Danish person will just want to strangle me. But it looks like Rodgrod, R-O with a little line through it, um, <laughs> D-G-R-O-D. But the way you pronounce it is like... <laughs> it's the word uh, that they in Denmark make foreigners say to, to basically show them the complexity of their language, which is infinitely more than English, and make fun of them. Like, like foreigners cannot say this word. I've tried so many times with various... Danish people.
0: I like Danish people already. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it's and as far as recipe testing, it's so difficult. Everything has to go just like absolutely perfect, and you're putting you know potato flour in, and it's just that you've got to make a streak and there's these berries going on, and there's this whole story behind it about how. It, Sometime in the 1500s, the king allotted lands for people in the country because, like, the city was too stuffed and, like, unhealthy. And they would they could have all these plots outside Copenhagen, and they would grow these berries and vegetables and stuff and make this... And, it was, you know, if you talk to any Danish person about it, their eyes light up because it's, like, the sauce of their childhood, right? And um, it, just, it was so difficult to make when I finally got it right. It was like oh, light bulb moment. Like, this is it. I mean, you put cream in it. I mean, it's just, like, so many things going on in this in this dish. Um, but it is absolutely fantastic once you get this, like, sweet, savory-type sour thing.
0: And if y'all could see Mark's face right now, he's just, like, smiling, and his arms are moving around as he's explaining this. So you know that he's very passionate about mm-hmm. this sauce, which I will not attempt to uh, say. <laughs>
1: The thing I like about most of these is that it gives you a connection. Like, if you meet anybody from Denmark and you tell them about the sauce or you try to make it even once, they're going to just absolutely love it. There's another recipe called ajiko, which is a very famous sauce among the sort of borderlands of the old Soviet empire. Um, this one happens to be from Belarus. comes from my friend Anastasia. And same thing. Her is the sauce of her childhood. That... It's her her mother's sauce um, recipe, and it's a zucchini-based sauce recipe, and they just used to eat it with a spoon, this sort of um, vinegary sauce recipe that you can put on, again, a lot of different things. Um, So if you go recipe to recipe in this book, you, you can really have a connection with just so many people from various spots, and sometimes that's all you need to then just break into their whole worlds, you
0: know? Well, I love that. And I know we just have a few minutes left, but I have to ask you because, you know, we're going, I'm writing my list you know, I have adventure cook, food traveler, home cook, the feeder of the people. <laughs> so, you know, we have all these these titles, but you're doing some other cool stuff. You know, you're doing your movie stuff, you're writing books, but you're also doing this really neat barbecue experiment.
1: Yeah, so this is how I got into food in the first place. I was backpacking through Patagonia, and in Berloche, we fell into these this Argentine crowd who showed us how to do, basically, Argentine asado. They call it parilladas, um, which is a form of the word parilla, parisha, as they would say, uh, which is grill in Spanish. And it's basically hanging meat. And this sort of Francis Malman-esque, although they're sort of all for Francis Malman and Barry Loche in terms of how they know how to cook. And so I started this little project, very new, very infant, called Nook Nola, New Orleans Outdoor Kitchen. Um, it's on Instagram, at Nook Nola. And done two so far. The second one um, is today, uh, mm-hmm. but... The first one we did for charity, we raised over a thousand bucks for Aquashare, which builds wells in Cambodia for villages that don't have fresh water. And it's basically really fun. It's just it's it's hanging meat for hours, it's drinking. It's sort of food in the New Orleans tradition in terms of camaraderie and um, the communal aspect of it. But it is really sort of crazy. Argentine barbecue that's hanging from this giant metal cage, which I had built for eight hours awesome, yeah, or, or more and it's Lamb legs chickens pineapples leeks all sorts of fun stuff I
0: think we need to put you on my Hawks for the cause team and then we can just bring bring our a game that no one No one can compete with I have some ideas for that Actually, yeah. <laughs> Well, you all um Mark Stevens has been here in the studio with me. Mark, will you tell everybody where they can
1: find your book and the name of it? So the book is called The World Sauces Cookbook, and the very best place you can buy it is at Garden District Books. They have been so supportive of me um, the past couple years. They carry both my books. I love them. Go to Garden District Books and get it.
0: I love it. And get you know get your sauce game on point. Uh, get your spice game on point with those other and then uh, go out and feed the people, right? You've been listening to WRBH Radio, 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sins. Ow! (laughs) Until next time, ciao.